Hey, podcast listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Coach Fury Podcast. This is episode five, uh, and I always say that these are special guests, but this one means the world to me. Uh, she is a sister uh, uh, and a family member. Uh, this is Dr. Kathy Dooley from Catalyst Sport in Midtown. Uh, Kathy is someone that came to me for training, and we're going to talk a little bit about that because I don't know if that was how we actually first met. I think we first met at, at a cert. Um, and then would later open up a gym with two other good friends that I met through Kathy. Um, but we'll get into that in a moment. So Kathy Dooley, co-owner of Catalyst Sport. And uh, one of the PTs, folks, that I refer all my people to. Like there's basically like a handful of people that I refer out to that I just know I can trust based on any given situation. And she's one of them. So Kathy, with that sort of awkward intro, <laughs> I feel like you deserve better. Um, t- tell us a little bit more about yourself. Uh, well, I'm a chiropractor. I'm a chiropractic rehabilitative specialist, which means I do some adjusting, but a lot of, of movement uh, tr- retraining and um, work a lot with pain reduction. And uh, I'm really honored to do so. I am a seminar instructor for neurokinetic therapy and also a seminar instructor and co-owner of a, a dissection uh, ser- series that I started called Immaculate Dissection. It's actually dissecting movement and uh, instead of actually bringing people to a lab since uh, that's a dying art um, with our technological age. Um, I uh, am very proud to, to co-own Catalyst and be a, a kettlebell enthusiast of sorts, and I incorporate kettlebell, barbell, bodyweight training into uh, rehabilitation to help people get out of pain. Let's talk about this. I believe, if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, Kathy, we met at an RKC cert in Philadelphia first. Yes? Is that yes. Right? Right. King of Prussia. That was it. That was it. And yes. then you, we weren't on the same teams, though. I was assisting John mm-hmm. Hines at that. And whose team were you on at that point? Uh, I was on Delane Ross's team, and Artemis Scantilidis was one of the, the teaching team members, uh, the assistants, as well as John Dixon. Awesome. And then yeah. later on, Kathy would uh, reach out to me for training for her strong first level two uh, to work on her press for, for whatever reason. I think it's mostly because of a blog I wrote um, for Dragon Door. I, I started getting a lot of people reaching out to build a heavier press. So that's how I met Kathy uh, more personally. And then I met you through Ari Harris. Well, that's who Ari, yeah, Ari, Ari told me to go to you. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yes. Ari is uh, just like a Queens legend, a kettlebell legend, <laughs> and a lot of us in New York are sort of linked uh, directly through Ari. And for a long time, and I'm pretty stoked on this, that for a long time, if people were coming in New York and they'd be like, who, who should we go see? For a long time, it was like Ari or Fury based on if you were going to be closer to Queens or closer to, uh, you know, Chinatown or, or Brooklyn. So uh, I remember that it was, it was an Ari hookup. And then, you know, as we were training and, you know, getting to know Kathy, I, that's when I, I experienced some really bad back trouble. Like I had an extremely pissed off QL, something that I've never sort of dealt with. Then, you know, if anybody, any of our fellow FMS practitioners out there, uh, when you're dealing with pain, you don't try to work uh, you don't try to solve the pain as a trainer. You refer out to an SFMA. And that was, <laughs> Kathy was perfect because I found <laughs> not only an SFMA that I could refer out to, not just myself, but other people, but also somebody that was a friend that I could trust. Because I think as trainers, we sometimes are, uh, it, it's rough when we're hurt because it's almost like a bigger thing. You know, we don't want to hurt the people we train, but when we hurt, it's like, are we doing something wrong? Am I going to be able to get paid? Uh, you know, 
is everything going to fall apart now? Um, and through Kathy, I met my other two good friends and brothers, uh, Jason Kapnick and Joe Boffy, right? So guys, that's like the Catalyst team at Catalyst Board. Mm. Those are the three co-owners. And a lot of their other team members of staff are people that I also met through Ari, either directly or indirectly. So really quickly, talk to me, because I remember it was almost wonderfully corny. When we first started training together, you would be like, you, you would like tagline, we're going to be the Catalyst. Mm. But you wouldn't really say like outright, like we're opening up a studio. Like it was adorable because we were like, you're opening <laughs> up a studio. And now the studio's in existence three years, yes? Yes. So tell us a little bit what that was like, just the early days of Catalyst. What oh my big, gosh. What was the biggest struggle and the big, biggest success in those three uh, years? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, well, at first I remember we, we were pretty confident that we were going to be successful. And we started with, you know, very little debt, you know, and uh, we, we were like, okay, as, as long as we three uh, consistently from on my end treat patients and their end, you know, train clients then we should be okay. And we can bring other people to the party and, and help catalyst grow. And then it became uh, Jason and Joe are just really phenomenal. They study business all the time and they study ways to improve things and make things better. And uh, as we all just, you know, got involved with uh, assisting kettlebell certifications and just uh, reaching out to our communicate community, the, uh, the, the, Catalyst family just kept growing and Ari, of course, was a, a big, you know, he introduced us to, you know, several of our trainers and some of our initial clients and uh, he, he was a big catalyst for us, uh, pun intended. Um, the, uh, the great thing about, you know, Jason and Joe is that they're always interested in growth and, and how to make the, the team, you know, more of a tribe and how to in, incorporate uh, more of their, you know, very uh, good business strategies into making a sustainable um, family and uh, they do such a good job of it and the struggles in the beginning were mostly just you know how are we going to get people to, to come here and, and I think that that wasn't too much of a struggle because we already had you know people that relied on us but um, it kind of just grew we ended up you know bringing more clinicians in more trainers in uh, Joe and Jason designed uh, an, a semi-private training program uh, with an FMS screen as the base and, and kettlebell skills and barbell skills body weight skills as a big foundation and uh, it still is that today. Well, I think one of the fantastic things that you guys do is, is right out the gate, you have this fantastic model that I think a lot of us think is where most of our, our businesses would go. Like if I were to open, it's, it's having this PT clinician side um, directly attached, like you step in and out of the door and you're on the training floor. So the, the crossover, if someone's having an issue, you don't have to wait, like, did you go see my friend? Did you reach out to my friend? Did you, did the person's right there. So you sort of get to cut that, that delay that people have, right? They get lazy about it. They try to put it off. It'll just feel better tomorrow. But you guys can have that direct relationship. And I see you doing it. Um, you've done it with me, um, mm -hmm. but also amongst the staff and, and with the clients. And how have you found, I guess this is a good point to talk about, the lines between being a physical therapist or a Cairo and a trainer are getting very blurry. There's a lot of systems that we as trainers can start to believe we're healing people. Mm -hmm. And sometimes without, you know, outside of what might be our scope of practice. Um, but also I think the, the PT world is starting to realize how integral we are to their healing of their members as a process. What are your mm -hmm. thoughts on that and where that's starting to shift? Cause I think, you know, there's been, certainly been a few facilities that I knew had that, but nobody seems to that I've been in 
you know, guys, if you're running a facility that does this, I'm not dissing you. Uh, in terms that I've been in, it's so smooth, the integration between the two sides. Where do you see those lines blur from when you're sending someone referring out for strength training and we're referring to you for uh, some type of treatment? Uh, the, the line is usually pain. And uh, when someone's in pain, they have a medical problem, not a fitness problem. So uh, to quote the great, great, great cook, um, you don't want to rob health to pay fitness, right? Um, you'll often hear uh, Jason Kapnick say that on our, our fitness floor. And so we take it very seriously because we know that if you get hurt on our watch, you can't trust us to keep you safe, one. And the whole point of you gaining fitness is to maintain health and to not need to go see someone like myself. Uh, and if you work through discomforts and, and just push into pain with that, you know, no pain, no gain kind of philosophy, it actually keeps you into a place of pain that might ground you and might bench you. And um, it, it's just not a good idea. And so we have a, a really nice system of, hey, your back feels like garbage when you're deadlifting. You probably should see Kathy and clear yourself of a medical issue. And I'm never going to tell someone to, not to work out. You know, I'm going to tell them how to work around their painful problem and to work with it to make sure that we can heal it. And so that's one, one of my favorite parts of my life is to, to tell someone, you know, hey, this is empowerment. Learn that, you know, the best thing for your low back is not to lay down. It's not a good idea. It, it's been debunked for years. Um, so the best thing for you to do is learn how to stabilize your back, learn how to move safely. And a lot of times you can do that under the watch of a trainer, but you need to be under the medical supervision. So Catalyst provides medical supervision, you know, for something for a, a painful condition, as well as guiding the trainers to this person is restricted from doing this particular activity, but they can do this one, this one, this one to be able to help themselves get out of pain. Very empowering. Yeah, I think working around and not through is I think where I think trainers overall, we're getting so much better at understanding that, I, I, you know, especially on, on you know, I would say the better trainers out there were understanding that we're not just supposed to like, oh, your shoulder hurts. Well, we're just going to bench lighter <laughs> as opposed to not maybe not benching that day. Um, okay. But I think it's becoming and my hope is that that's becoming more of the norm from the general population client mindset, because I'm sure you've had this, but we will sometimes get people that they love the beat down. Right. Mm -hmm. There's a, it's, it's like a meditation um, it reminds me of the Da Vinci Code when that cat's flaying himself. Like they love this idea that the workout hasn't done enough unless they unless they've emotionally destroyed themselves. And mm. you know, we can learn a lot about ourselves in certain dark situations of strength like that. You know, like I never thought a snatch test has been easy in my life. It's been doable in my life. Um, but I've had people in that mindset that mm. are also highly injury prone, right? Yes. So it's this double-edged sort of like these workouts seem too easy, <laughs> but their back feels okay. But they then go and they do like other stuff and then their back is thrashed, but then you're still too easy as opposed to finding the, you know, the continuum for them that, well, let's build up so that maybe you can do a more intense workout without pain or without destroying your spine. Um, what would be something you would say to somebody that sort of has that mental mindset? Cause let's be honest, that's almost like a fitness addiction, right? That's almost like uh -huh. a psychological, drive from it it's almost like you know drinking or pounding sugar or smoking crack or something for that fix the chemical <laughs> fix we're getting out of it right the emotional fix what would you tell somebody that finds themselves in that situation mm -hmm. where like let's be honest some people are a little prone to be fragile in the short term mm -hmm. 
but like the things that put them on the edge or potentially over that edge of injury? Uh, I would tell them the very first words I would say to them is that I've been there. Uh, I was a distance runner and in my 20s, and uh, I remember scheduling my entire life around the run. If I had a four-hour run uh, to get ready for a marathon, then I was going to schedule every single part of my life around that run. And then while on that run, if I felt discomfort during the run, I, I wasn't going to stop and really address that. I was going to have to push through it and tap into a, a different center. Uh, and I would tell them that I was running on endorphins and enkephalins and running on my own pharmacy. Um, rather than, you know, injecting heroin, I was tapping into something that's, you know, a hundred times more powerful than heroin, my own, my own uh, uh, endogenous opioids. And I would say that those reasons why those chemicals get released is because your body is under a level of destruction. And you, I don't know, I, I don't train anymore like that. I would tell them that I'm 38 years old, I'm pain-free, uh, I have a, a nice relative balance of, of mobility, stability, and strength. I'm, I'm quite well-rounded. I can, you know, last weekend I moved my entire apartment and it didn't really, you know, I was glad that I lifted weights, you know, and, and I was cardiovascularly fit. And I would tell them that, you know, what, why are you, why are you training? A lot of people feel like they need to do it for mental health. And if they're doing it for that reason, they should see a mental health specialist <laughs> because they're bringing a, a, an, an area of destruction to themselves. A, a workout, true fitness, is, is building someone up, not breaking them down. And, well and the, you know, the nature of, of you know, building tissue is to, to, you know, to have a, a, a bit of a, a work period where you're really trying to rebuild. But if you're breaking yourself down more than you're building yourself up and forgetting that the, the rebuilding process of where you really get strong happens outside the gym, then you're missing the whole point. I think that it, it is something that whether they're missing or not, I think it's so hard to understand that part of it that, mm -hmm. you know, you need a relatively short yet intense training session to have a positive result and the gauge of duration and intensity is where we tend to fail um i know a lot of the times when i started writing you know more online training programs for people there'd be you know they would come up looking short yeah. you know because they're you know at most should be 60 minutes at you know most likely probably at 45 uh, because people are used to like hour and a half workouts yeah. I'm talking general population and I'm also talking like if you're training for any sort of like a kettlebell cert or an ultimate sandbag cert, DVRT cert, whatever, they don't need to be an hour and a half long of a session. Um, the other thing is, you know, when we, when we think of perceived rate of exertion, most people that when, when we should be actually training at like a level seven out of 10, which is like moderately intense, but we're in a safe zone, sometimes pinging to eight. We tend to think our seven and eight is what we're doing, but we're actually at like a nine to 10 and a half. Mm -hmm. And I think that's hard even for trainers to realize how much we can dial that back so that we have a more long-term response. And it's been interesting with the people, my friends that are trainers, as they're getting older, people more and more starting to relate to that side of it mm -hmm. versus when we're in our 20s, really starting to chase maximal loads and PRs in a different fashion. Again, PRs are great, guys. We all should have some sort of performance goal, but whether it's a one rep max or a three rep max, that's like a very different risk reward factor on that. Mm -hmm. um, that I do personally see changing as I age. Um, so I'm, I think you put that in a really good 
frame of mind because intensity is where it's at. I, I saw Marty Gallagher speak. Marty Gallagher has coached some of the most elite level power lifters ever. Uh, Captain Kirk Kowalski, Ed Cohn. And when he trains for the military, he spoke at a presentation about how, you know, they might have an hour total a week to train. So he finds the right intensity that that is one hour a week, whether they do it in one hour a session because they're doing other types of training or yeah. it's like, you know, three 20 minute sessions, that's what they have. So you have to make the most of it. Whereas I think this idea, the media tells us you only need seven minutes on like this twisting board from shark tank. <laughs> and then this other side says you have to crush yourself for an hour and a half. Um, if we could all just sort of wrap our heads around what's the proper intensity for us, not just long-term, but also in the session. Right. Mm -hmm. And where do you I think, think most of those types of injuries come from because you deal with some unique stuff that's not just like we're, we're not just talking guys like i did a heavy deadlift and a, a, a disc pop like we're talking mm -hmm. things that are mostly stemming from movement issues agreed uh i don't think it happens in the gym very often that's what's so interesting to me is that people like at catalyst we are very focused on uh longevity we're very focused on uh, really solid biomechanics we're focused on uh, making sure that People move well, learn skill sets to move well in the gym that they carry over into life. And I think the problem is the carryover. I've always thought that the problem is the carryover, that they should be picking things up uh, in their apartment or their house the way that they pick things up in the deadlift. And so a lot of, a lot of times, and I would say a, a huge amount of the, of the time, my patients that are fitness enthusiasts, they, are, they feel pain not when they're working out, but when they're doing other things. Yeah. when they're making their bed or tying their shoes because <laughs> they forget the carryover into to building um, this movement behavior into a cleaner, uh, less faulty movement pattern that one, the one the body doesn't associate with pain. Well, I also think one of the things, it, this is widely known at this point, but one of the great things if you train a catalyst, so folks, I train a catalyst as an independent trainer there. And I, I've, I've done a lot of courses there, which I'll talk about in a little while, but is that, not only is your staff so on the same page, I mean, you guys do bring up different ideas, but when it's on the training floor, it's like a very united front so that there's no um, what ifs happening if a, if a client has a question, right? Like mm -hmm. whether they're training with Fabian or with Joe, there's a very direct, like, this is why we do this. And this is why we're having you do this, which I don't think a lot of us as trainers provide those answers. I think a lot of us don't have those answers when we're asked like, why is this in the program? And, I know for myself when I started training there more often and also for my friend Amanda Wheeler when I invited, you know, mm -hmm. introduced her to you guys is we see how you program so that the people aren't just deadlifting heavy. They, they all get that. But you, you cover all the different planes of motion. You do mm -hmm. the stability work. You do the core work. You do the reflexive stuff. So there's this total package coming out. And it's not overly complicated because, you know, the one thing I would never want from this podcast to be with anybody on it is that this stuff is overly complicated. It just has to be thoughtful and mindful or thoughtful is mindful, redundant. Um, <laughs> is that something that even if somebody, uh, I mean, I, I think I know the answer for this. I'm sure I do. But as you guys are programming or, or Jason and Joe or Fabian are programming or Jackie for your non-in-treatment people, um, with your involvement in the company, is there certain things you're adding into the programs or certain aspects of the programs you're hoping to see in everybody, whether or not they're seeing one of the treatment rooms? Yeah, I mean, we follow the FMS screen. So those seven basic movements are actually um, the functional movement system screen is is the huge foundation of it. So 
uh, being able to be able to move the hips in a triplanar way, the shoulders in a triplanar way, to be able to hinge through parts of the spine in a load sharing rather than hinging on one spot that might produce discomfort. Um, we're doing clearing tests. We're making sure that this person can move through their triplanar environment in ways that don't have uh, inhibitions. And they're not necessarily predictors of pain or predictors of injury as much as they are predictors of inability yeah, uh, to be able to approach something. Yeah. It's, I'd also say folks, you know, when you hear me talk about not necessarily crushing weights, the, the, the people, the, the members of Catalyst crush weights. Like I'm continually <laughs> impressed by how many 32K and up get-ups are happening, half kneeling presses with 28s. Um, the women in particular just really seem to shine on a strength level. Uh, Kathy being one of them as, you know, someone who trains, Talia who just left for California had a 40K get-up when she left. <laughs> like, things yeah. that like are insane, like pretty sure Talia left way stronger than I am. Um, <laughs> but have you seen that that has an impact keeping people out from seeing you in a positive way? Uh, yeah, I think that it's not definitely not negative. Mm -hmm. I think that I think what's so interesting is that people like look at me as a clinician and they, they see me like, I know Amanda was a good example. She was training a client the other day and I think she's so delightful. She's, you know, such a good solid trainer um, with a great background and I was, was lifting weights. One of my clients uh, was sick and didn't show. And so I was lifting weights in my dress clothes. <laughs> and she thought that was hilarious. And so you don't have to have like a certain look or a certain body type or be a certain, you know, whatever athlete. I, I would never have put myself in an athletic category uh, in my life. But we, I think, attract a group of people that are very mindful as you said like we want to be mindful about our movements we don't want to create discomfort but we also want to be strong and we want to be powerful people and i'm very i get very excited when i do like a series of pull-ups or i do a heavy deadlift or you know, i do a heavy get up it's, it's very just really enjoyable strength feels great uh to me strength is the new skinny it's it, it feels so good to be able to you know, rip phone books or bend steel or press a heavy bell. Or I remember what, what a crutch the 20 kilo press was for me. I just could not get it. And, and you were such a big part of understanding that it was much less about muscle mass. It was much more about mindset and this, uh, this groove I had to grease. And uh, I think that we're all about that. We're all about, you know, tapping into how powerful the mind can be and, and not really having a hindrance with pain, not a hindrance with improper movement that might pre prevent the press. Like for me, a big part of the press was mindset and also a, a really nice groove. And so we're really into that. We're really into, uh, of course, authentic strength, moving like the baby, moving like uh, we're designed to move as a human, but also uh, bringing a mindset of, you know, if, if there is an improbability that you can't move through this, this screen, then you need to work on this before you have permission to put load under it. And I think that's what keeps people safe, but also what breaks them through plateaus. Yeah, I mean, gosh, there's so much to unpack of awesomeness of what you said in there. Let, let's start this. So when, when, when Kathy and I met, she was looking for her half body weight press for a strong first level two. So in the RK scene in strong first and level two, you have to have a, a press a certain amount of weight based on your body weight. And Kathy struggled with the 20, where some days it would fly up and some days it'd be like, <laughs> did that ever happen? <laughs> and, 
you know, we talked about a lot of stuff, including mindset. A lot of it is you're one of the busiest people I know, like straight up, um, where sleep was definitely a part of it, in my opinion, mm -hmm. right? We had those talks. Yep. And then also, you know, this happens with certs where we have a deadline, right? So we have a process and we have a deadline and sometimes the deadline starts to defeat the process yes. of allowing us in the right headspace and allowing us to train in the right intensity as opposed to trying to pin it. And it's hard to get that positive mindset when we're, we're chasing that. And I think that's one of sometimes the negative things about certs that uh, strength tests. I think there's a positive and I think they're needed, but I think that is definitely like we get so focused on a snatch test or a half body weight press that we sometimes lose sight of the education that's supposed to come forward. And I know for me, when I failed my press at my first level two, RKC two, I was destroyed that weekend. I mean, I still look at it as like a great weekend, but I, I know in my head, I was like, I have this video of me pressing this thing on my phone. How did I not make it three times here? What do you think the biggest change was in addition to mindset? Was there a training change, a schedule change after that? Because you clearly, and you know, we've talked about this, guys, just so you know, so Kathy assisted me at an RKC and she actually, I had her teach part of the press. And uh, <laughs> she, yes. there's a picture of us holding hands while she's pressing, what was it, 20 or 22? <laughs> I think it's 22, yeah. <laughs> so to see how far we've come in a relatively short period of time, what do you think were the biggest change other than mindset was in your training to get you there? Um, definitely, um, once you've seen yourself do it once, uh, it's impossible to see yourself not doing it again. And so that's how mindset plays a role in it. For me, it was a lot of... Um, uh, meditation and for like for me I had to the brain can't separate from what's imagined and what's real so for me I had to start to really imagine myself doing it and see myself doing it and now when I walk up to a 20 kilo I know I can do it cold there's not going to be any kind of question about doing it but I'm not that physically different than I was then so it can't be muscle mass and it can't be you know all of that what is the difference I would say that I am calmer about the process like when you put so much pressure on yourself, like, I have to get this, I have to get this, uh, then you're losing sight of why you want this. And that was the, the, the case for me. So I started doing other things when it came to the 20 kilo. I, I know, I remember the, fir the very first time I pressed the 20 kilo was in front of Ari Harris. And I remember sending you the video and I, I was exhausted. I was just physically exhausted, mentally exhausted from teaching, like over teaching and walked over to uh, the bell and, and he said, I remember I was helping him with his back because he was in back pain and I was at his gym and he, he said, just go, go to work. He's like, you walk over to me and you help me with complete chill. There's nothing about you that has any kind of hindrance. There's no pressure on you when you come over and you help me. You are so confident that you know that you can do it. And he's like, why don't you have the same approach with that bell? You walk over to that bell like it's work. You walk over to it and you... <sighs> humdrum about it he, he said he could hear me exhale fully and just like you know like it was an effort he's like why don't you approach that bell the way you approach me and then it pressed up like it was nothing so it wasn't exhaustion it wasn't really rest it wasn't really nutrition it wasn't I, mean, I was at my most exhausted state when I pressed it for the first time but I think it was the the pressure we put on ourselves for a goal doesn't always match the reason why we do it and the whole reason I wanted to press it was to to feel strong within myself, but I was, I was in my own way. I had gotten in my own way, unlike what I do in my job, unlike what I do with my patients, with my students. 
I don't get in my own way. I stay out of my own way and let them come to me and let them talk. And, and, and when I, I did that for myself, that's when it became a doable thing. And I, I felt that way about every goal since then. You can do amazing things like greasing the groove. You can put the bell outside your bed. You can put the bell everywhere around you. Grease that groove, grease that groove, grease that groove. You can do that. And I think it works great neurologically to do that. So if you're at a point to where you can't get a skill, you should be bringing that skill into your life a lot. But if you are making it like work, like really, really hard work without making it fun, it can be, you know, you, you can be stagnant. You can really stagnate your goal. Yeah, it's the mindset's so fascinating. Like when I look at bells now, so uh, folks, uh, I found out, Kathy's one of the first people I spoke about this. So in March, March through May, I was experiencing tremors out of nowhere that were progressively getting worse. Like literally I would hold up a, a, hold a, a cup of coffee and try not to burn myself. I was shaking mm -hmm. and it turned out I was either dealing with essential tremors, uh, but what it ended up actually being is great, it graves disease, right? So I'm on treatment for that and folks, I'm fine. Like things are very much so on the comeback but mm -hmm. i went from somebody that had like a 40 to 44k cold press to like a 20k had me shaking like a leaf and the pressure i put on myself initially and the sort of like depression that set in of like i can't do these things that i was able to just do it's because i was setting up a limiting belief system on myself that like this is going away and that this isn't going to get any better and now it's been very cool over the last month. Now those bells, the heavier bells are starting to look lighter, right? So yes. like I, I can do a 32K cold. And not only is it because I've been training and grooving and the medication is helping me, you know, ditch the tremors. Like there was a very real issue happening that was robbing me of the strength. But it's also now I look at the bell and it's just not as big. Right. And I think that's a kettlebells are a cool way to do that. You look at the bell and it's like one day a 48K kettlebell might look gigantic. And then the next day it just looks like 20% smaller. And those are the days where you just like, you know, like the belief is there. And it's like, you're just, I've, I've got you. I used to tell people, I've probably said this. I used to just like step up to the bell, say you got, you give it the finger and, and get the job done. And so there's the belief and, and the visualization that goes with it. And I know a lot of the strong man, strong woman stuff you do, like snapping a bat with your thighs. That's <laughs> You know, a lot of that is the visualization that comes from mm -hmm. that. But then there's also like the, the, finding joy in your training, like you were saying. Mm -hmm. So uh, my training space is Fury Industries. It's in my apartment. It's just like, it's, it's Kim and I's office space. And man, I, I basically train in my t-shirt and an underwear at all times. <laughs> go on very loud music. And I just have a real good time focusing on a few things that I want to work on. And I'm just, you know, getting better at it. And Again, I think as trainers in particular, we put a lot of stress on how strong should we be, how well should we move, how good should we look. So I also love that you mentioned this body image thing because trainers are on such a different eye. Mm -hmm. um, you might have the best coaching brain in the world, but if you sit down during your session too long, some younger cat might call you out for like, great coaches don't sit, you know, that guy's robbing your money. And it's like, really? <laughs> My room is small. Or uh, you might be overweight a bit and then still be a brilliant coach, but someone's like, you can't, you can't be overweight and a brilliant coach. And yes, there's sales items to that, but you can have knowledge and expend knowledge. Mind you, there's all these lines, right, of us being professionals that we need to figure it out. But so often as trainers there's this hard line of like this is what you should look like as a female fitness professional slash fitness model and this is what you should look like as a fitness male professional slash 
fitness male model. And then the reality is, is we should actually just look like better versions of ourselves that are related, in my opinion, to the people we're training. Now, mind you, if uh, you're going to be a, a, a bikini, you know, uh, if you're going to do a body competition, uh, competition, I'm not going to have the nutrition base on that, that I understand it. It's not because I haven't done it before. I just never went down the science route for that. Right. Yeah. But that doesn't mean I've never competed in powerlifting. It doesn't mean that I can't help you get a heavy ass deadlift. Um, so when you mentioned the, you know, the body image stuff earlier in that statement too, I think it's important because I've seen you really write some beautiful posts about that. Mm -hmm. And what was it like coming to grips with that and getting over yourself and out of your own way with that body image stuff? Cause it was, Oh really yeah. Well, I almost destroy myself with body image. The time I was, uh, 19 to 23, I had uh, anorexia followed by bulimia nervosa and battled back and forth, back and forth between those for four years. And uh, it, it's a very troubling disease because you look really good from the outside. Like I had that six pack and that real lean appearance that everyone seems to like so much. And people congratulate you and talk to you how great you look and you feel like garbage on the inside but then you get validated for feeling like garbage. So I ended up, you know, really, really sick. And I remember in my lowest point, passing out on my bathroom floor. And I, I swear I had this deus ex machina. I, I looked in the mirror and I said, this is not how you live. This is definitely how you're gonna die. You have got to change this now or you won't live to see 24. And um, that, that interference, whatever that was, uh, I don't know what people believe, universe, God, whatever, uh, but it was an interference for me that was pretty big deal. And ever since then, I refuse to count every calorie and macro. It's just not the kind of doctor or person I want to be for my patients or for anyone who follows me. I think it's important to follow nutrition. I do eat a healthy diet. It's very well-rounded, but I'm not going to work out for three hours later because I had a piece of cake that I'm not going to perpetuate that to my patients, to my friends, to my, to strangers. And I am going to uh, pick up heavy things and I'm going to move them around. I'm going to run up hills. I'm going to city bike across the city. I'm going to do things that make me feel really good and alive because being strong and fit is alive. And I know what it's like to feel like you're dying at your own hand. And I think fitness can be addictive. And I think that nutrition can like be, like, people can get obsessive about it. But I've found an internal calm that has allowed me a really beautiful, happy life. And I've seen the other end of it. I've seen what, like, I don't know why people do this with fitness coaches. They don't do it with it. No one asks, like, what is his name? Bella Carosi. No one asks him, you know, to go do flips you know, for yeah. the students that he's teaching. Nobody asks a football coach to go out there and, and pass like the quarterback. Nobody asks those questions they, because they're coaches. They're great coaches. And as great of an amazing coach as you are, as I am, I mean, I will gladly perform for my patient what they want me to do and, and demonstrate for them. But also, that's not even the point. The point is that they learn how to do something within themselves that they want to learn how to do or what gets them better. Like seeing me do it doesn't make a difference. It's them feeling that they can do it or them getting the, towards the goal of doing it that matters. So if they want a six pack, you know, I, I can show them like the nutrition that you would get to do that. And I would also give them the warnings of, Hey, look, 
when you cut your body fat this low in order to not have any adiposity on your abdomen, there are some things that you should need to know about that. And so, you know, like they they just need, they just need education. Super, super well said. Again, I think sometimes, uh, you know, the fitness industry, what I found is we can be like at our best, we are literally trying to make this world a better place, right? Because we're, we're really, you know, it's such an admirable, admirable thing that so many of the friend, my friends that I know uh, in their circles are really, we're just trying to extend lives and, and make them a, a more vibrant life, right? Like that's what we do. That's the service we uh, are paid to do um, that we work hard to get better at is so mm-hmm. if somebody's from training, somebody who's a father, I am trying to make him be able to play long, better with his kids, but also live longer with his kids. So that's my end game, right? Um, I feel like I've proven enough <laughs> in a uh, kettlebell world and the things that I teach for where, you know, I have skill sets. It, it, I like to think they're undeniable. I am constantly trying to get better at them. I'm not where I want to be. I think that's the other thing. We're always, we're all perpetual students, uh, you know, on that thing, but you know, I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be able to teach you a good swing. Now, if because I just got off my honeymoon, I'm 10 pounds heavier, does that make me less of a coach? You know, or if my priorities, when, when you mentioned the nutrition thing, one of the best articles I ever saw on that was the Precision Nutrition article. Yeah, on I saw that it, too. Not like what type of work it takes to have certain percentages of body fat. And folks that haven't seen that, like it's not just like cutting out like your cheat meal to get like below 10% body fat. Like <laughs> uh-uh. it's a legitimate social life change to have that work out. So I think allowing people to have that opportunities where like, you know, moving well and being strong can be enough. Clearly if you have, you know, you should eat well. And if you have certain issues that are dietary in nature, health related issues that are di- dietary in nature, you should address those. But in terms of, you know, especially I think Instagram, is the hard part right now. Everyone's a fitness model on Instagram. That's also (laughs) slash a trainer to some degree. And it's hard for general population people to see the difference in that. Like what's a really, uh, uh, you know, for example, let's use Artemis example, a really accomplished female trainer who Mm -hmm. knows her shit to get where Mm -hmm. she's gotten with her own results and with the people she trains versus some, you know, someone wearing yoga pants that looks really great. And then is like, you know, sponsors a sports drink. You know, mm-hmm. you'll see her doing lunges on the video, you know, of course, from the back. Um, Bad lunges. <laughs> yeah, that type of thing. And, and that's where, you know, the two sides of our, you know, our industry fall. And how do we navigate that with our, with our potential clients, the people that we're trying to help and providing that information um, while also not trying to be douchey to each other or trying to one-up each other <laughs> in the process. That seems to be the battle for me. Right. It, it's it's very tough, and I think that you know, like Artemis is a good example. And Artemis was one of my coaches. I, I really appreciated working with her for the time that I got to work with her for a year. Um, she she's a great example of someone who looks like a fitness model, but moves like a baby. Yeah, like moves very clean. And this is a woman who who really works hard to encourage you know the the impression that you can. And she also is very forthright about the fact she eats very healthy and that you should eat a piece of damn cake. If you're working really hard, like I really, really love what she has to say. And the whole girls gone strong community is so wonderful. Like I really love what they do because, um, not just women. I mean, men have to deal with this too. Like if you don't have a six pack, you're not fit. I mean, come on. I've seen a lot of people in my office with gorgeous six pack, eight pack, 12 pack in pain, injured, 
you know, like really working outside of their, their happiness level to be able to maintain it. And so that look, it does not mean fitness. Yeah. I think folks, if, 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 if Kathy and I could say anything to some non-trainers that are out there, or maybe for trainers to impart, it's everyone kind of has to find and come to grips with what their goal they, they're coming in is. And in reality, what's probably the best goal for them. And that's not changing the goal per se. It might be just changing the expectation of the goal and that life provides. Because a lot of the times people either want to just get, you know, more muscle or lose fat. And that's not just a matter of like appearance. That's usually to show appearance to others in some way, um, whether it's confidence building, whether it's, uh, you know, almost like revenge hotness because <laughs> there's like, you know, an ex's wedding or something is coming up and you know, those goals are valid. I don't want to ever take that away, but there's usually something deeper behind it. But then there's also like what's sustainable long-term and what type of impact is fitness and nutrition going to have on their life? Now, look, if we do it right, it's all going to be positive, but to what level does that have to be? Because when you do, you know, I've seen people go down the, the fitness rabbit, uh, sorry, the nutrition rabbit hole to where it's like, it just looks like they're not having fun. And we should be able to like enjoy stuff. I think one of the greatest things MFF does in their nutrition coaching um, is they, they make it sustainable because it's like more habit based of eating good things as opposed to denying everything. Right. right. Um, and you'll also like, again, you know, getting stronger helps in a lot of ways. Um, you start to feel better and it starts to have a nice little circle of health where you're like, Oh, I'm starting to feel the results. Now I can, you know, you want to feed that. So you start eating better just to, to keep that, that wheel going. Absolutely. Um, but it also could be, you know, draining. Like I remember teaching classes at a spot and, you know, people would take four classes in a six hour day um, mm -hmm. between, you know, martial arts and crazy. Training. And at some point, unless we're competing, we have to remember the gym, like, like, Kathy said, is supposed to be supporting us and it should be a good community we want to stay and be a part of, but we should also try to have an outlet for it outside of the gym. <laughs> people don't play sports because they want to be healthy. Let's just get that out there right now. People play sports because they want to perform. So if you're modeling your fitness out off of an athlete who is trying to get a performance goal set, then you're probably not going to <laughs> you're probably not going to feel as great as you think. Cause a lot of times athletes don't feel great. A lot of times they don't because they have to push a certain limit past something in order to be able to get to a goal. And their life does revolve around their sport because they're an athlete. I mean, it just, it's the way that it is. If you're going to shift to that focus, it's a whole nother discussion. But for the most people that work out at Catalyst, they, they you know, we do have athletes, people that are, you know, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, Muay Thai, um, competitive powerlifters, and they are trying to get strong and resilient for their sport, right? And that I totally 100% respect. But if people are working out like five, six times a day, like, and then expecting to be pain-free, it's, it's really, it's, that's going to be tough. Yeah, and at what cost is like, you know, it's, it's ancient now. I don't know if people would even remember this. The Billy Crystal character from SNL, it's better to look good than feel good. That's just horseshit. <laughs> you know uh kim and i occasionally watch that show botched have you ever seen that mm, I no uh -uh. It's like it's they come in uh to two plastic surgeons that have their crappy plastic surgery fixed right so it's oh anything my. from boob jobs to noses to like one woman was like got some weird stuff injected in her ass to make her ass <laughs> swell. uh like this wow yeah it's it's a it's a gross show but what you start to see is, is that 
you know, the body image thing is so deep that people take it to extremes that they have no sense of reality of how they're being perceived um, <laughs> outside, which is the least important for, you know, how somebody views me is not as important as how I view myself, but also like all the, the sort of emotional scarring that's underneath that, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Side fact on that show that blew my mind, one of the doctors is the brother of the late singer from Quiet Riot, Kevin DeBrow. That blew my what? mind. So come on. <laughs> Uh, and I think, you know, uh, one of the things that the better gyms that I've been a part of and, and seen is we create a culture where we're going to love you no matter what, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to come in, you're going to, you're going to do in the work, you're going to have good days and bad days. Uh, you're going to eat well for some points and then you're going to eat like a total asshole for another one. And we're still going to love you. Uh, certainly it has an impact on our goals, but we can either like hate ourselves for that or we could be okay with that right mm-hmm. now the goal is actually just creating better habits um and i think if we could just uh impart that wisdom and that sense of ownership then half our job is done right mm-hmm. so it shouldn't be so much about like well this program felt easier this program was too hard it should just be like i've got to come in and train and i trust these people and these are the things i need to do to feel as good as i'm feeling now without redlining it to one extreme or the other where we stop going to the gym because we got hurt or we hate it um, or we go to the (laughs) gym too much because we're getting good results. So if we go more, we're clearly going to get better results, right? That's the other side of that. Right. Um, Let's switch gears completely because I I love seeing you evolve, not just as as, as a, you know, a a super respected doctor, but also in a coach. Um, Guys, so we should go back to this. So Kathy has not only started with me as a trainer and treated me as as a clinician, she's also assisted me at several RKC certifications with Jason and Joe from Catalyst. They are sort of like my go-to. They're also, when I got my promotion within the RKC, to be able to teach HKCs and, and start being involved in RKCs, they were the first to host me. And it was uh, at a time when there was politicking between different kettlebell brands. And this isn't shit talking. It's just a reality. Um, it's a reality for and, sure. And they were just, as friends, super supportive. Like, no, no questions asked. Like, you're a friend. We want to help you. Um, mm-hmm. So I've done four HKCs, two DVRT level ones, three RKCs, and we're about to do... Um, we have like a, basically, I think essentially a sold out RKC coming up and, uh, around just after this podcast will be released and, and an HKC coming up after that. So, you know, I've gotten to work with Kathy on so many different levels as a student of mine, but also as a co-instructor and, and, and as a doctor that, and, and it's the same thing with Joe and Jason as coaches that my love for these folks is just so deep and real and it shows for everybody, I think that steps foot in Catalyst, right? So there, mm-hmm. there's a, a real sense of belonging and it's not in a forced way. I think sometimes we strive to make create a community too hard and it can fall a little flat where it's very organic and it's a little subdued in a way, Catalyst, compared to some mm-hmm. of the other places I've been. And, you know, that's how your tribe starts to develop. Like clearly that's what the members of that tribe like. It's not a... It, it, it's not the same type of cheer fest to say like an MFF. <laughs> yeah, people, we're not really into that. Yeah, the people are super supportive of each other. So it's like you, you sort of make your own tribe based on who you are. And it really shines amongst the staff at, at Catalyst. With that, one of the things that I've been super stoked with Kathy and seeing her growth is uh, Kathy is someone that I can relate to that makes big jumps towards happiness. 
that some people might think are a little crazy. And uh, Kathy, <laughs> can you talk to me about like a, a couple of the, you just had a couple of big changes happening. Uh, some big ones. Yeah. Um, I never thought that I would ever get married. <laughs> so I, I met my husband in uh, December of 2015. We got married four months later. Um, that was pretty, people thought that was really quick. <laughs> where, where did you but, two meet? Cause John, uh, super mm -hmm. chill dude. I, I hadn't met him before. Yeah. Uh, where did you guys meet? Well, we've been Facebook friends for a few years, but not, didn't really talk much. Uh, we both um, have the same uh, strongman coach, Chris Ryder. Um, and so Chris Ryder, I've hosted his seminar five times and, uh, and went to his seminar, um, several years ago. And then just constantly would talk about Jonathan Fernandez, Jonathan Fernandez, Jonathan, Jonathan Fernandez bends five pennies in between his fingers. And he talked about him like he was some superhero. And I was like, who is that guy? And so I, I messaged him on Facebook a couple times just saying, hey, you know, Chris is talking about you or whatever. And we had talked on the Coney Island Strongman group that Chris runs, uh, but not much. And then um, when I was going to Colorado, um, I was actually seeing someone else at the time. Uh, I, I had made an, um, an appointment to, to meet up with Jonathan and, um, Jonathan and I became very, very fast friends and really bonded over the steel, but not just that, just like mindset and the way that we feel about a lot of things is very congruent. And he's a meditation expert. So he's really turned me on to a lot more meditation and uh, not kumbaya on a mountaintop kind of stuff, but like really looking at focus and being able to focus. And so we got married really fast and uh, have been really happy since um, we had our year anniversary in May. And we just moved into a, a big apartment that we love uh, right outside the city in Long Island City. And we just got a puppy. Uh, th things I didn't think I'd be able to do with my, I have a very busy schedule as you do. And I didn't think I'd ever get to like have a dog or have a husband that would understand me having to be gone, you know, 40 weekends out of the year minimum. And, uh, and he does, he does understand. And he told me something huge. He said, uh, you know, I'm not responsible for your happiness, nor are you for mine. So if you are going to do this on a weekend and it makes you happy, then that makes me happy. And I never thought I would ever meet a human that would feel that way. I always thought they'd be, you know, neglected or jealous or whatever. And he's just not that at all. Oh, that's perfect. I also, you know, uh, you, you posted about, you basically broke your lease with his yes. support to get the dog because you, you weren't allowed to have a dog. Yeah, we were pretty mad at our building. We saw dogs come in and out, you know, and, and in the, you know, legally it was in our lease that, you know, it's supposed to have dogs. But I thought it was a loose, you know, agreement because there were so many dogs in our building. And then the, you know, the landlord was like, no. And we were like, <laughs> I don't know. And Jonathan and I get set on something, you know, it's like Jason Kapnick says, find the wall and let me crash through it. <laughs> we, we were like, uh, I don't know. Like we really, really want a dog and we really want it now. And so <laughs> within two weeks, had a dog, packed up everything, moved our apartment, broke our lease, you know, gave him the money that he wanted because money doesn't buy happiness, you know, like, and I knew that, you know, I was going to be miserable if I saved the money. And uh, if I knew I could have had this dog that we adore, I mean, we literally adore him and we've only had him for a week and he's just freaking perfect. He's, he's so great. Oh my God. I had to bring him to Catalyst. <laughs> um, that's awesome. I'm just really happy to see how everything's like, not just on the business front picking up, but also Kathy had her first DVD that she sort of co-authored. Yes. Um, tell them the name of that. 
Yeah, it's Immaculate Dissection. It's under uh, On Target Publications. While you're there perusing the amazing uh, videos and DVDs of people like Dan John and and other greats, um, you know, take take a look at some of the preview videos on the link. Uh, the amazing Larie Draper approached me about it. I was like, "Are you kidding me? Where do I sign?" And she set it all up and uh, amazing. I have to thank Mark Fisher for you know supplying uh, the. He suggested the the DVD team that filmed it, and I think they did a great job. And uh, we, I can't even believe that people want to watch us do this stuff because we we really thought there was something missing in anatomy instruction and the way that it was like, people just don't know anatomy very well and they could know anatomy better. And it's my, the thing that I love the most in life <laughs> other than my amazing husband and dog, you know, the thing that the topic I like the most is, is anatomy. And I, I relate everything back to that. And it's, uh, it's been so much fun traveling the world and, and making the DVD and, and people are really liking it. So it's, uh, I don't know. And there's a relative state of bliss going on right now. <laughs> uh, it's awesome. There's so much good stuff happening. I'm, I'm so happy for you. Thank you. Um, with that, I think we're going to start wrapping this up. We've actually been on for like an hour, which is okay. Uh, Kathy, is there anything you'd like to say to the crew out there? Oh, no. If you need anything at all, uh, duly at catalystsportnyc.com. Uh, you can check out catalystsportnyc.com and find my bio there. Anything you want to know. You can also go to www.immaculatedissection.com. And uh, if you're into the manual muscle testing and, and learning biomechanical movements, neurokineticotherapy.com is a great place to go. And I'd love to teach you any of that. Uh, I'm teaching seminars all over the planet in the next year. Uh, I tend to work about, about 40 to 45 weekends per year. So I'm sure it won't be too hard to find me. But you can private message me if you want on Facebook. And uh, it's uh, Kathy Dooley is my name on Facebook and in New York, New York. I think I'm the only one uh, that I see on there. So if you have any questions about anything that I'm teaching or anywhere I'm going to be and you want more information, I'll, I'll personally send it over to you. Awesome. Uh, folks, uh, I want to thank Kathy for coming on. If you're looking uh, interested in training, check out Catalyst Sport nyc.com did i say that right you did catalystsportnyc.com perfect uh also if you want to hit me up and we do sometimes kathy and i refer people which is a great situation as well for online training or personal training uh check me out at coachfury.com or coachfury.com slash courses for any courses that i might be teaching which are quite often at kathy's place at Catalyst Sport. <laughs> um we've got an rkc and an hkc coming up um kathy can you tell the folks to die mighty Oh, you better die, Mighty. And I have to add in one more thing. If you ever get a chance to be coached by Coach Fury, please do not miss it. It has, it was a, I am going to be punny and say it was a huge catalyst to me becoming uh, the person that I am today. Uh, I have no fear about the press. The press is, I am the boss of that press. And a big part of that is due to your coaching. And if you ever want to take a weakness and turn it into a strength, you got to die, Mighty with fury oh thanks kathy love you yes all love right. you too all right folks thank you for listening uh stay tuned uh for more episodes coming i've got a pretty killer guest list coming up we're gonna have danny cavallo and annie vote coming up this month uh in october uh so stay tuned thanks for your support the coach fury podcast is created owned and produced by steve coach fury holliner that's me for fury industries llc Music by the FTW. Visit the FTW.nyc for merchandise, tour info, and the record. Artwork provided by Glenn Urieta. Visit glennurieta.com. That is 
G-L-E-N-N-U-R-I-E-T-A or at Glenn Urieta on Instagram and Twitter.